And you just got me thinking, Steven just has this idea of like, I'm going to throw a rattlesnake at him. You know, poison damage. Wow. But you really process- think very little of me. You think just I'm an get- idiot, dude? No. I'm going to throw a rattlesnake at him? Are you serious? Who throws a rattlesnake? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, you're not no. sorry. I hate that you say that all the time. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But you're not sorry. Lights. Marker. Yeehaw! Action! <laughs> welcome, welcome listeners to the group once again. Yeah, welcome to the group. Yeah, that's not gonna, you're not gonna be doing that for the whole episode, are you? Is that, this is just for right now? Please tell me this is just for right now. I reckon I might do this the whole pod. No, you're going back to Swampland. <laughs> Swampland? Yes, you're not doing the right accent. I'll try to do a deeper one, <laughs> deeper Texan accent. Here, let me see if I can. <clears throat> My name's Marshall Cogburn. That's good. All right. That is good. You want this for the rest of the pod? No, that's good. <laughs> That's good right now. That's good for right now. Bring it back later. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome again, listeners. And if you haven't figured it out by now, today we're going to be covering on this episode of Group Film, the 2010... 2010, right? 2010. Classic. Well, I consider it a classic by this point, 13 years later. True Grit, directed by the Coen brothers and starring Jeff Bridges, Matt Mm. Damon, Haley Seinfeld, Josh Brolin... And uh, great directors, good cast. Some other, yeah, it's a great quite cast. A, it's I quite a stacked say. cast, yeah, yeah, yeah. huh? So uh, this is going to be the first western that we cover on the podcast, and yeah, uh, we're we're pretty excited. I am. Uh, did you guys? This is the first time that you guys saw this movie. No, this is my second time actually. I so, saw it when it came out in theaters. Second time too. This was my first time watching it. First time. Yep. Okay, and I think this is my third time watching it. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to talk about it. But before we do, it's time for everybody's favorite segments. It's story time with Andy. You really got to stop saying that. Because <laughs> it makes it seem like I'm telling you to say that. It's, it's my segment. <laughs> I wonder if anybody really believes that, though. Is it the yes, best segment? I'm saying Is it, it the best segment because you say it's the best segment? Or do they actually feel that way? Both. It did not win at the groupies, so um, it is not the best segment. I am yeah. willing it into existence that this is everyone's favorite segment. Okay. Andy, what story <laughs> do you got for us today? Make it a good one, please. Okay, well, it's going to be a short one. Sometimes you don't know what will or won't be a hit, and sometimes you get surprised. Uh, Sylvester Stallone recently admitted in the Netflix documentary titled Sly that he thought Rocky was going to bomb. The reason being, the first review that got out of New York was, in Sly's own words, scathing. Mm. And then at an early screening of the movie, in which Sylvester was in the audience, three quarters of the audience got up and left 20 minutes into the movie. So he started to slink in his chair thinking, oh my God, this movie's going to bomb. Dang. Wow. And he thought it was going to bomb hard. So, however, the audience that did stay became engrossed in the film. And the theater erupted when Apollo went down during the fight scene <laughs> with uh, Rocky, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is history. Obviously, the movie did very well. It won Best Picture at the Oscars. And uh, all is well in the world. What's the lesson to be learned here? Always stay seated for 21 minutes or more because <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, you never know. Uh, I don't think that's good advice from our podcast because we have our ticket refund where we tell people when to get up and leave. 
That's true. So this is going to be the 21-minute mark now yeah. for all movies. <laughs> the point of no return, as in don't return to the movie you just walked out of. Exactly. That is that is pretty interesting, though, because, yeah, Rocky is considered to be, like, one of the best sports movies of all time. Absolutely. And um, I guess to an extent I can kind of see, because it is very much a drama more than, yes. like, an action-type boxing movie. And I think that's what makes it so successful. Exactly, yeah. It's very character-driven. So I could see why maybe at the time people didn't really realize what they were watching and they weren't appreciating it for what it was. Yeah. But of course, the ones that stayed got the payoff at the end. So that's awesome. They saw that it had a lot of heart. I think, uh, sorry, I think what the lesson should be is 22 minutes. Whenever you're, uh, you know, whenever you're um, either watching or listening to any type of media, including podcasts, give it a little more than 20 minutes. You know, including ours. Don't, don't, don't just, don't just, uh, don't just shut this off. You know, because ten minutes in, you're like, these guys are not, not that great. Because we get better. <laughs> we do, we you, do. You it gets gotta, funnier as it goes. You just on. gotta give us a chance. That's yeah. all. Okay. You never know. This could be Oscar-worthy material. They have an Oscars for podcast. No, I'm sorry. They should. Though. Do they have awards for podcasts? We have our own award of groupies. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's the best one. Yeah. What am I thinking? <laughs> Oh, that is interesting. Thanks, Andy. See, this is why it's everyone's favorite segment. I keep telling you this, but you don't believe me. I still don't. Let's go back and talk about True Grit, guys. And uh, listeners, uh, this is your spoiler warning. We're about to do our patented no-cap recap. Did we patent that, Andy? Did the lawyer get back to us? Uh, It's pending. Okay. (laughs) We're going to do our no-cap recap to uh, summarize as quickly as we can the events of the movie that way you guys are all caught up with us but yes we are going to essentially spoil it so if you want to watch this and we recommend well sorry you'll see later if we recommend that we watch that you watch it or not but this is your last chance and here we go the wicked flee when none pursueth our film begins with the voice of maddie ross our main protagonist explaining how a man by the name of tom cheney murdered her father in cold blood and fled Maddie Ross, at only 14 years old, takes care of her father's burial arrangements as well as figuring out how to bring Cheney to justice. While in town, she seeks the hired help of U.S. Marshal Reuben Rooster Cogburn, a marshal she is told is the meanest and has true grit. She also encounters a Texas Ranger named Labeef, who is also pursuing Cheney. The three eventually set off in pursuit of the criminal in the Choctaw Nation's territory, though there is plenty of tension between them. Eventually, Labeef parts ways, and the pair of Cogburn and Maddie follow the trail before them. They know that Cheney's in the company of the notorious Lucky Ned Pepper gang, and they follow one lead after another. They get intel at Bagby's store, they trade with a Native American after that, they later speak to a dentist wearing a bear suit, and they eventually take shelter from the winter at a small cabin. There, they find two criminals. Two criminals? Thank you. Jeez, that took forever. I thought Andy might finally be open to saying it. No. (laughs) Okay. Then Cogburn interrogates the criminals. One actually begins to talk, and so the other gives him what's known as a four-finger discount, and then later stabs him in the chest before being killed by Cogburn himself. Awaiting the arrival of the rest of the gang, from afar they see Labeef arrive alone and confront the gang alone. After a scuffle... Only Lucky Ned proves his name right and escapes. The three continue through the territory in pursuit, only for the trail to go cold. After more tension in the group, Cogburn decides to give up. Labeef gives up, and all seems lost. However, Maddie stumbles upon Chaney himself down by a creek, 
and ends up being kidnapped by him and Ned's gang. Through a series of talks, eventually Chaney finds himself in the position to try and kill Maddie Ross. But Cogburn and Labeef arrive to intervene, effectively saving her life and killing the Ned Pepper gang. And Maddie herself avenges her father by killing Chaney, although it causes her to be knocked into a snake pit. She is bit on the hand and must be rushed to seek medical attention. She barely makes it, though only through great effort and cost. The film skips ahead in time 25 years, where we see Maddie grown and with only one hand. She had received an invitation by the marshal to see him on a traveling show he had joined, but when she arrived, she's told he has already passed away. And so she had him move to her own family plot. And yes, people may talk about it, how she barely knew him, or consider her a cranky old unmarried maid. But the film ends as she remembers the lively time she once had with an old friend. Nice. Really nice recap. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the, the movie is what tells the story. And uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and get into our next segment, which is the group discussion. Thanks for the recap, guys. Sorry, so, sorry, V. Before you do that, I just had a question yes. regarding the title. Before looking it up, if you guys looked it up, did you know what it meant to have true grit? Not immediately. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to watch the movie and hear it set in context. Uh, for me, anyways. Yeah. To kind of, you know, gather what it is that they mean by that. What's your interpretation of true grit in, in the simplest way? My way of seeing it is that it refers to somebody's character, mm-hmm. uh, especially regarding their perseverance in the face of difficulty. Oh, I like that. And you're accurate. Yeah, that's actually right. I had to look it up, but um, just to be sure. Mm-hmm. And it says here, passion and perseverance. Oh, okay. A person with true grit has passion and perseverance. They set goals and they follow through with them. A person who works really hard to follow through on commitments. It's not a word that you hear very often. No, oh, that's interesting. So I was going to say somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. And so it's kind of yeah. in the yeah. same ballpark. Exactly. That's in the same vein. Passion, you think determination also. Right. And we see a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. Uh, not just from one character, but from many. But uh, as we get into our group discussion here, why do we love or not love this movie? What I want to hear from Andy, because this is his first time watching it. Mm-hmm. So what what's your, what's your take on it? So I won't say that I loved it, but I liked it as much as I could possibly like any Western, because I just don't like the genre. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this was... By far, hands down, my favorite Western I've ever seen. It was excellent, and by a country mile, the best Western I've seen. That's Country awesome. Mile. You see how he did that? Ah, he's country joining mile. us. Country he's- Mile. <laughs> that's good. Anytime you can work a pun in, that's good. No, that's great to hear, because I mean, I've seen several Westerns, and, and this is... It's, it's not the best I've seen, but it's up there on my list. I, I always enjoy it when I watch it. What about you, steve well, something I wanted to point out now that you guys mention it is that this movie is actually a remake. I don't know if we were going to get into that later, but... Um, you can. I, I didn't yeah. want to talk about John Wayne at all, but that's yeah. fine. It's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I haven't seen the original, but uh, this too is one of my favorite Westerns that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think that um, for me, I've got like maybe three that I've seen total in my entire life. And this is clearly, I mean, that's not a lot of Westerns to have watched, but uh, this one, if it's not my favorite, it's probably number two. Hmm. Gotcha. That's great. That's great. What I wrote down, because I do love it. I do love this movie. I, I say that it's a, it's first of all, an excellent story. Yeah. 
Uh, and this, it's simple too. Yeah, it's I easy love, to follow. I love a simple story. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorites where it's like, oh, it's just something that's not complicated at all. And then, you know, you just get to watch how that one objective is, you know, obtained. Right, right. I mean, it is a revenge story. Right. Technically. It is, absolutely. But um, I don't know. The, the way it... Well, I'll continue. I, I say it's an excellent story. It has dramatic moments. It has action. It has sad moments. It has humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks beautiful. The way this is shot and lit and just the look of it mm-hmm. is great. Uh, it has you feel a, like you're there. Oh, yeah. The authenticity of it. Uh, it has a very poignant end. Uh, and I also wrote down, actually, the theme of that true grit and the quality of a person to persevere in the face of hardship, which we see in the three protagonists uh, in this movie throughout, but especially by the end. Mm -hmm. Even Maddie's horse has true grit, technically. (laughs) Um, Even though they all kind of give up at a certain point, except for Maddie. I don't think Maddie ever really gives up. She never never does. But uh, Labeef and and Cogburn do at a certain point. They're They're willing to go back home. Right, right, right. However... It's only at the very end where we see that that mutual respect is finally earned. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if that's what you're working towards. Not even Cheney's death, Mm -hmm. but rather um, the way that these characters interact and see each other. And at the end is when we get that payoff, finally. I feel like the movie um, just uses... I I, I guess you could say the plot of the movie is to find and bring Cheney to justice, but the story of the movie is the earning of respect uh, of these two or three characters. Mm-hmm. And being able to follow through. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's you see that a lot. These Some characters that are wanting to give up or willing to, or being told to give up, and they don't. They may seem like they will, but in the end, they, they follow through. They make it. So um, what was your reaction after seeing it the first time? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I l- can't say i loved it because i just don't love westerns but i loved it as question much for, as i can love a western question for you what is it about westerns that makes you kind of like i just can't get into this mm-hmm. i have time period good, good question it? okay i have trouble with period pieces period no pun intended <laughs> that's the second one of the night that's awesome that's All right. a good one <laughs> i just i struggle period and then the setting for these you know uh i always struggle with like, maybe if a Western was set in, like, a city instead of, you know, some old dirt town. Is it that you feel like you can't relate with the people and, like, the overall just this part of the, the world? It, generally, I feel period pieces are boring. Hmm. Even movies that aren't, like, quote-unquote period pieces, I feel like when they're set really long periods of time ago... I feel like they tend to be very slow. They have a disconnect with you because you yeah. kind of need something based in, you know, you're connected to your life in some way. And you have, I mean, you were born and raised on the East Coast. Um, and, you know, this whole setting, even though you've been here in, in Texas for a while, but you're still not really Texan, Texan. But even somebody who grew up here in modern days, they don't relate very much to the story or what's going on. Uh, you think so? In the setting. Well, and, and even if you don't relate to it, but like he says, usually with period pieces, there's less, I guess, action going on. And not so much like violence, but just mm-hmm. in terms of things happening. Mm-hmm. Because everything was much slower paced back then. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't that type of lifestyle. And, and so, that's reflected on screen. And so a lot of Westerns are, are pretty, uh, or period pieces, I should say, are pretty dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and so there's a lot to to listen for. But I love that now. And yeah, that's funny. Funny how you change, right? Over right. time, when yeah. you're younger, it's just like I just want to get to the good scenes. Yeah. Right now, and uh, the scene, the good scenes for us now are mm-hmm. those scenes. I mean, for me personally, I love exp- I love dialogue. Mm-hmm. I if love, it's well written. Yes, exactly. If it's well written, if two people are sitting down at a diner and just having a conversation, that could be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Right. If it's extremely well written. That's the thing. Because if it's not, then it's just boring. Right. And, you know, not to say that there aren't boring Westerns, but uh, as far as True Grit and why, you know, I, I really wanted to talk about it on, on this podcast is because uh, even for those that don't really like Westerns in general, this is a great introductory one. Mm-hmm. This is one that you can watch. You see some familiar faces in there. And like you said, it's an easy story to follow. It's got a great payoff at the end. Um, it's, it's one that even... If you don't like westerns, you can still like this movie. Yeah, I would say. But what was your? Re- Did you saw it first in the theater, Steve? I saw it in the theater and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked it. I wasn't, you know, as uh, knowledgeable of westerns or I didn't have the appreciation for them that I do now. Right. Even though I still have a, a limited catalog that I could talk about, but um, I liked it. I watched it now the second time and I really liked it. Mm. It was even better. And I appreciated the story, the characters a lot more. Um, I had forgotten, to be honest, that Joel and Ethan Cohen directed this. Oh, you forgot? Yeah, because I mean, they're really well-established, um, notable directors. They they do really good with almost every project they do. Um, they just came off of No Country for uh, what is it? No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. You know, just a few years before this one, so it looks like they wanted to stay in the Western genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, another really good movie. Um, I I really really liked it this time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm excited to talk about it. It's funny because I had a similar reaction. I was, I think I was too young to really appreciate it when we mm-hmm. saw it in the theater. Uh, I just. I mean, liked it. That's pretty much as far as it goes. Yeah. And it's only now that I can rewatch it and really appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. But I mean, that happens all the time. You know, that's not even, that's not to be too surprised about. Yeah. So let's see. Do we agree with the critics and the audience scores? Critics, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, 95% of them recommend this movie. It's got a 95% Rotten Tomato score. Love it. And the audience score is 85%. Yeah. You know, minus 10 points or percent because... They just don't have the attention span for it. I think part of that... Or they're all friends with Andy. <laughs> Andy bought, bought reviews. He's buying <laughs> reviews again. The Metacritic score was an 80. Solid 80. That's, that's good. I'm that's, happy that it got at least that. For Metacritic, that's pretty high. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. But yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the audience score kind of reflects either um, you know, those that don't really care for Westerns, but they still wanted to give this one a shot. Yeah. I don't know. But also, I will say some of the accents make the dialogue a little hard to understand mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. I had to watch the for movie sure. with subtitles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm a little surprised at the 95%, not because it's not worthy of it. Just, I don't know how common that is to be ranked that high, to be rated that highly on a remake. That's true. Well, if the remake is better than the original... Uh, so I didn't look up how the original was viewed at the time. So did it fare well, yeah, critically, it, the I first think, one? I think it did. John Wayne won an Oscar. His only Oscar was because of him as Cogburn in True Grit. Wow, okay. 
Um, so yeah. it, it was well received at the time. As far as remakes go, B, real quick, um, The Departed, for example, was a remake of a, I think it was a Chinese film called Infernal Affairs. Hmm. And uh, that, I, I believe, scored really, really high. That was because it was directed by Scorsese and was really w- well done, and they condensed what was, I think, originally three movies into one hmm. and, and did it pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, to answer Andy's question, I think that a remake can get rated really, really high if they are super successful at remaking it with its own little spin. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because this story is based on a novel. Uh, the author's name escapes me. But um, my understanding is is that John Wayne's film uh, kind of did its own thing. It, it is based on the novel, but you know, some, there's quite a few differences there. And the Coen brothers wanted to do a more faithful adaptation. So it's more true to the original. Of the novel, exactly. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, they didn't want to really be very inspired at all by John Wayne's version. They wanted to just make their own thing as if that version, you know, wasn't a thing. Like, the, our source material is the novel, and that's it. We're going to take it from there. Question for you. Do you like that? Do you like it when uh, filmmakers decide to tell, for example, their actors, don't watch the original? Just do your own version of it. Or we're not even going to like reference the original in any way. And we're just going to do our own take on it. We want a clean slate. Mm-hmm. Do you like it when they do that? Or do you feel like they should watch the original versions of it just so they can see what was successful, what wasn't successful, what they'd like to use, what they wouldn't like to use? I don't know. I'm, I guess it just depends on, on which movies we're looking at. Mm-hmm. I'm more in the camp of if you want to do it, especially if it's a remake, make it your own. Don't look to the original or the one before you for inspiration or to see what you can do that they did. Because at that point, you're just almost copying, mm-hmm. you know? You're, you're just trying to take what they did right and then add on to that instead of just doing your own thing and see what you do well. Yeah. And yet I feel like, and I'm sorry to go off topic a little bit here, but for example, The Batman that just came out. I feel like it does take elements from the more recent Batman films. And it feels like no one's really willing to go too far away from what has been successful on screen. You know, so whether it's the the super deep voice, you know, that sounds like a growl or something like that, um, or just the, the dark, gritty nature of it. It feels like right now everybody's just copying that and are saying that works really well in Nolan's version. It works really well in Burton's version. It works really well in Batman versus Superman. And so they just keep doing it. Hmm. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm curious. Is it know, that, is just... that a good idea or is it not a good idea? Why hasn't a campy Batman come out? Oh, well, why, why haven't they, you know, said, let's start with a clean slate. Let's make a campy Batman again, because it yeah. hasn't been done in X amount of years. Right. Nobody does that. They're just like, no, 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 no. We got to stay, we got to take what works. So mm-hmm. they're clearly taking what works from what? The more recent material. This is somebody that you can tell has never seen Lego Batman. <laughs> and uh, that has also reviewed very, very well. I haven't seen Lego Batman. There you go. Give it a shot and then you'll then you'll yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's an example of taking uh, an established character and changing the tone and still being successful with it. And not because they're just trying to emulate what others had did before. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as like Batman goes, that's a little tougher of a comparison because the character itself, when you look at the source material, is something that's dark and gritty and all these other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to get away from that. 
if you want to stay, if you want to stay true to the source material. But the but just to counter that, the suit design. If you look at the comics, nobody's wearing that. They're not wearing having Batman in gray spandex with blue underwear and a blue cape. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's sticking to no. He's got to be wearing black. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every every movie recently has had a black suit Batman, except for BVS, which was like a dark gray, a charcoal. Yeah. But everyone's just like, no, we got to stick to that because that is what has been successful. That's what audiences like, and we got to do it again. Well, I guess. <laughs> just let me win an argument against you for once I in just my don't life. See, I just don't let see me, why let, that let me goes outwit with a genius. I just, don't, I just don't see how yeah. that relate because, like, again, you can just look at the source material and then they do, like, these costume uh, designs and they do, like, these these test costumes and they and they have to do test screenings and, and see what looks good on camera and they can see, all right, if he's in spandex, it just doesn't look good on camera. You don't need previous movies to know this. You, you like, honestly, if you just, if you... <laughs> Don't look at me like that. If you just look at the source material and you try to make a movie based off that, you're going to end up in around the same vicinity as some of these other ones. Honestly, I just, I don't know. That's just how I see it. You haven't answered my question, Brian. What's the, what's the question? Why haven't they done a gray spandex, blue underwear, blue cape Batman? We've gone so far off the trail. Because yeah. it doesn't. Oh, oh I like a, that. Third I one. like that. Are you yeah. going to keep track? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll keep track. That's number three. Okay, that's B, number three. Just go ahead and get back on Fine. track. Fine, okay. Whatever. Listeners, that was Steven's rant of the day. Yeah, yeah I guess it was. Anyway, so... Uh, we talked about the, the the critics and audience scores. Interesting fact that this movie was nominated for ten Oscars, but did not win a single one. Isn't that kind of kind of sad? Yeah, that's thanks um, when you get volume, but you don't get even one. Yeah, yeah. At least uh, Haley Steinfeld got nominated. Yeah. You know what was interesting about that? Real quick, uh, best supporting actress instead of best actress, despite being the protagonist and probably having the majority of screen time. Is that because she doesn't get top billing? Is that what it is? I think that must be it. Which I don't just think because is, she wasn't recognizable at the time. Which is not fair. She's the yeah, protagonist. She is. She like the 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 story revolves around her, yeah. and it's the focus is on her. Yeah, you know. But whatever. It was a strange decision by the academy. Well, that's that that shouldn't surprise us. They make yeah. strange decisions all they the do. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Alrighty, so we'll go ahead and go on to our next segment, the best thing that I've ever seen. So what are some great scenes that we like from this movie? And uh, I'm not going to be a stickler. If you want to tell me your favorite right off the bat, you go ahead. You know, I usually, in this category, end up being the one who lists like seven to ten scenes, and you guys are the ones just like, like limit it. You know what's uh, funny is that we ask for your favorite, and you still list like an extra three or four. Yeah, because <laughs> so many. I feel like we're doing a disservice to the audience by just listing our favorite and then moving on. Like yeah. we just got to mention how great it is by listing a lot of scenes that are great. <laughs> but in this case, um, I'm just gonna go with my absolute favorite scene. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think it's uh, well, I, I had a few nominees. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, my, I think my favorite scene is uh, the final uh, shootout. Oh, when, the final? Yeah, where they're on the horses. You know, yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah, like Lucky Ned and, and his guys are, are uh, heading towards uh, Cogburn. 
and he's coming the other way with the two pistols and everything. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that Labeef is, he's all right. You know, he's recovered from his head injury and he pulls out the, what is the name of the weapon? It's a, it's a carbine. Or no, no, I think I'm mixing up a little bit of the story because I think he gets hit in the head after the after shot. After the he shot. He gets hit after mm-hmm. the shot. But um, yeah, when, when he has a name for the weapon, I can't remember what it was. Because it's, it's comedic when he... Uh, when he talks about when it, When he right? talks about it, he's like, because she's always like, that's an amazing shot. He goes like, Bold well, <laughs> it's like, this gun is really... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that, for me, that was great. Just how he nailed that shot from, from that distance mm-hmm. and essentially saved Cogburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... Um, that whole sequence I really enjoy that's also on my list of great scenes um, I also wrote down when Maddie is negotiating with Colonel Stonehill oh gosh towards the beginning I didn't have that I mean it's a it's a great scene because um, her negotiating skills are amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> like for a 14 year old that's really impressive it shows that she's got uh, an intelligence beyond her years yeah but uh, I didn't have that on my my list <laughs> I like just because uh, it's just so much back and forth and I'm going crazy. Yeah, exactly. No, but that's what I like about it is is the um, the comedy of it and how and how this guy is just so mad, but of course he just ends up having to pay her that amount of money. I oh, have. Uh, I'm sorry. The yeah. weapon. And did you show this to me? The weapon that he uses is a carbine. That's the one. He, he what he said. That's what I said. That's what, that's what Brian said earlier. He, oh. As soon as you said it, I thought you wanted like the full name, which is why I googled it. For no, you. I don't want the full name. I wanted the full line. What is the full name? The full name is the 1874 Sharps Cavalry Carbine. Sharps. He yeah. says, "Well, the Sharps Carbine is," yeah. and then that's when he gets hit. There there. You go. Okay, I have I have that. I have the scene in the courtroom when uh, when Cogburn is giving his testimony. That's really good. I thought it was beautifully lit. It is a good scene. I really liked it. I think quite a bit of that is one shot, isn't it? Uh, no, it's it, they they cut it up. Yeah, they do. Good. There's some cuts, but it's it's okay. very smooth, natural movements. Yes, uh, I remember oh. it was really slow the movement of the camera. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I I really like that the interrogation of Moon and Quincy in that uh, small cabin. <laughs> oh, that was good too. Was very man. You that know what? is it's that that might that might be the best scene yeah i think i might change my answer to that i wrote down it was it was tense it was unexpected the lighting even though it's warm tones it's almost has like a menacing feel to it yeah um you know who plays moon excellent who uh the same guy who played hux in the sequel trilogy for star wars Oh, that's who it is. That's who it is. Yeah, his last name's Gleason. I did not it, recognize Dom, him. Dom Hall Gleason, I think is his name. That is so cool. Yeah, where he goes, uh, the first order. <laughs> you know that guy. Oh, yeah. really? With the redhead. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. He yeah, ends yeah, up yeah. betraying the first Hux. order at right. the end. Hux. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's, that's Moon the Kid. That's oh, crazy. crazy. I think, wow. I think, is he Irish or Scottish? Good or catch. Or I don't know. I have no idea. He, he does a really good Western accent, too. No, yeah, he did a great job, man. Uh, so I got that, um, the uh, and the fight that that happens there as well. That's in the dark because nighttime scenes are very hard to pull off, uh, especially if there's action going on. So they they executed that pretty well, pun intended. When Cogburn and Labeef are shooting cornbread in the field, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. Uh... I'm jumping around a little, uh, or skipping forward a little bit, but this movie was funnier than I remember. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really funny that he's inconsistent in that scene. Like, doesn't Cogburn hit it on the first try? No. Well, first he he throws a bottle and tries to shoot it in the air, 
and it lands and he tries to shoot it again and he I think he hits it after three shots when it's already on the ground. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Like he like he it's like he hits something, he misses, and then he hits again. It's yeah. just it's like there's no consistency to his shots. And I'm like, okay, this is funny. Yeah, exactly. And for And he's uh, and he's talking it up so like he's so good. Yeah. And for Labita to also think he's gonna have his moment and he just yeah. misses. He just looks <laughs> at his gun like like something like something's wrong. Uh, and then the the rush to the doctor at the end. Mm-hmm. That that whole sequence too is very emotional, and I really liked yeah. it. But anyways, uh, of those, I don't know. Uh, my top two for favorite is gonna be the interrogation at the cabin and that and the final sequence there. Yeah. What about I, you, Andy? Yeah, the, so, the scene for me for great scenes. I put Maddie's introduced to Labeef. Uh Maddie tells Cogburn that her agreement with him supersedes his agreement with Labeef. Mm. Uh and Cogburn saves Labeef. But my pick for favorite scene was when Cogburn and Hattie negotiate with Moon and Quincy in the cabin. No, it's this. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 It's because it's just it's, super well done. Yeah, it's really well done. Man. So what's your point of no return then? At what point are you not turning away from this movie? I think that when Maddie uh, encounters Tom Chaney at the river. Mm. At that point, I'm in the rest of the way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's only like 10 minutes left. But no, it's more than 10 <laughs> minutes. What are you talking about? Well, mine is pretty similar, but just a little bit before that, when everyone separates as the trail has gone cold, which is right before the, the scene right Maddie before. Yeah. finds yeah. Tom Chaney yeah. by yeah. the river. Yeah. But that is a good scene, the, the, the dialogue there, because despite what they say, you can really feel the emotion coming across. And Maddie's kind of like pleading with Labeef, you know, yeah. To, yeah. to please not give up. Yeah, yeah and she apologizes to him. I, I chose the wrong man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, we, that should have been on our list. Which great did she, did she, uh, did you really, that, did did she she really believe that? Did, no, no, my question is, did she choose the wrong man? Should she have gone with Labeef from the beginning? No. No. You think without Cogborn, they don't do it? I think one of the things is that they say, actually, right before they start shooting cornbread in the field, they talk about how, uh, you know, one of them is useless because they only have one arm and the other is useless because they only have one eye. It's almost as if it's telling us that this only happens because they have to do it together. They can't just go with just one or the other. Yeah. In fact, even Cogburn says, like, we're going to miss his, his sharp shooting whenever he leaves the first time, Labeef's. Because yeah. he re- recognizes the value he adds to them. And the thing is that Cogburn has an experience that Labeef clearly doesn't. Exactly. And you see that when Labeef is almost killed, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, in that fight. He just approaches the door thinking it's safe, and uh, Cogburn clearly... Uh, knew that we can't be inside mm-hmm. when they get here because they are coming. Right. You know, and of, of, you could also say, well, Labeef didn't know that. But um, I don't know. I just feel like Cogburn was probably necessary because he does spew a lot of um, intelligence or, or knowledge of his of what he does. Exactly. And I think Labeef doesn't have that simply because of age. But um, well, they, and, they were both necessary. And and the, uh, the territory itself, right? The Choctaw Nation. Yeah. He knew, he knew it better. He knew yeah. it better. Because yeah. because uh, Labeef's from Texas. He's mm-hmm. not from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. Ultimately, yeah, the point is they needed, all of them needed each other to yeah. be able to do it. Um, Cogburn had the knowledge of, you know, where they were going and the people there. Mm-hmm. Whereas Labeef was obviously the more reliable uh, as far as his temper and demeanor. Um, but so they're, they're actually uh, close to the same age, though. So Are they? Yeah, I looked it up. Really? Yeah, they're supposed to be. The characters. The characters. Oh, oh okay. Jeff Bridges and uh, 
Matt Damon. Le- Matt Damon's character. Oh, okay. That's okay. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So actually, this is, I think I might have written it down. But it's I'll just, just the Damon looks so much younger. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. So the character of Cogburn is supposed to be, I think, in his late 40s. Oh. What? Yeah. And <laughs> both, oh my and God. Both, and both times they picked actors who were in their 60s to play the role. Wow. That's yeah, well, I think it's just more interesting to have an older guy. Well, and I mean, it's in a lot of the dialogue where he's like, I'm too old and fat. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I've grown too old. Yeah. But I mean, and I don't think anybody in their 40s really says that. I'm too old. Although I guess back in those days, when you're yeah. 40, you're, you're like, approaching you're like 75. death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Another hint. Aside from the fact that his job was dangerous, Maddie at the end of the movie is wondering whether or not Labeef is still alive. It's been 20, 25 years? Mm-hmm, right? 25 years, yeah. So if he was in his 40s, presumably she'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a good chance he's still alive. But just some of that could be dangerous profession. Uh, otherwise, it could be he was older than we were led to believe, and also people didn't live as long back then. Actually, she says that uh, I suppose he's probably in his 70s, probably closer, closer to, to 80, 80 than, 70. than 70. Yeah. yeah. And then if she's 40, because she's 40 at the time that she says that, then that means that he was at minimum 30, but probably closer to 40 years older than her. And she's 14, so he'd be around 55, mm-hmm. around that area. Which he doesn't he do- really look yeah. 55 to me. But. No, that was a vexing issue for me. Oh, was it? The okay. age. We're jumping yeah. ahead. But I just want, I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but I'm just curious. The three of us have to go on a manhunt. I like, okay? these. I like these questions. We need Let's to do say more of this go- stuff on the pod. <laughs> Your question is who dies first? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's clearly Steven. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jerk. He tries to fight a rattlesnake. Stop. <laughs> he thinks he can. I got this guy. <laughs> See, I'm so nice. He I'm not thinks, even gonna retaliate against you. Like, if I was really, I if I really idea. wanted to get back at you, <laughs> I probably like, could, but I like, don't want to. Guys, I haven't. I was gonna say we're on a manhunt in Palo Canyon. Okay, we're chasing after oh a fugitive. Gosh. Wow. And you just got me thinking. Steven just has this idea of like, I'm gonna throw a rattlesnake at him. You know, poison damage. <laughs> wow. But you really process- think very little of me. <laughs> you think just I'm an think- idiot, dude? No. I'm gonna throw a rattlesnake at him. Are you serious? Who throws a rattlesnake? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, you're not sorry. I hate that you say that all the time. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But you're not sorry. You just called me a moron. No, I didn't. This was Andy. Steven's going to grab a rattlesnake and throw it at him. This is what I get. This is what I get for asking this question. I'm so sorry. (sighs) Oh, God. Oh, man. Anyways, I I think we might be successful. It just depends on the fugitive, you know? Because if, if the three of us have to chase, let's say, Tom Chaney, uh, I feel like we don't get very far. No, we die. We, <laughs> we could chase a cripple through Polidoro Canyon. That's about it. We succumb to the elements on the first night. On we don't know how to night, camp. We're out. We don't know how to... We can't get the fire started and we just freeze. Okay, I no, can... No, when it gets dark, I go home. <laughs> I mean, like, peace, guys. We didn't do it. Good luck to you. I'm going to go home. Yeah. It's like it's like 8.30 and he's like, I'm not waiting anymore. I bow out. Yeah. That's what he said. That's what he'd say. Yeah, he'd be like, adios. <laughs> adios. Adios. Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay. I don't mean to sidetrack us too much. Let's no, continue. Good, thanks. Next segment. Minus behind the idiot. <laughs> behind the scenes. Here we go. Director, cinematography, yada, yada, yada. Let's start with the director. The Coen brothers are well-established as mm-hmm. directors. 
Yeah. I mean, any chance that I, I have the opportunity to see, you know, some of their work, yeah. you can clearly see, like, you just can tell they have a distinctive style. Yeah. Uh, and I it's wonder, a joy to watch. I wonder, you know, because they're brothers and everything, I just imagine, like, you and me making a film together or me and Andy making a film together. Yeah. Like, what would we... Is it that they just, you know, work with each other real well and, like, they bounce ideas off of each other? Or do they usually have a singular vision? And that's why they're so successful. Because they're both on the same page and they know how to execute. That's a good question. I, I wonder. I mean, we don't know the answer to that. Know. We'd have to ask them. But I, I like to it could think, go either way. Yeah, I like to think that they have to have like a similar style and similar tastes. Yeah. But they have to be able to challenge each other True. on what each one thinks is a good idea. Yeah. Because I think about like uh, like the Nolan brothers, mm-hmm. right? They, they don't co-direct. But a lot of Christopher Nolan's works uh, were written by Jonathan Nolan. Yeah. And, I mean, funnily enough, those are some of the, like, his best, you know, um, or, yeah, best received or, or best reviewed movies. Yeah. Are the ones that Jonathan was able to write, like The Dark Knight or mm-hmm. The Prestige or Memento and movies like that. Um, so I, I feel like they were able to bring out the best in each other. Yeah. I guess you could say. Not that... Chris Nolan needs his brother because, you know, he makes plenty of good movies without him. Yeah. But when you have two people that are that close that work with each other, I think that they have to be able to challenge each other too. Yeah. They can't just always be agreeing with what one another says. Right. I feel like we've skipped over the best duo of brothers, the Russo brothers. Do we have time for me to do an Endgame and Infinity War? I feel like they peaked there, Andy. And that's that's the Russo brother for you. They had a great so start. So far, so far. They had a great start to the marathon, bro. That first yeah. lap. Yes, great. great. Great first lap. Yes. Everything since, wow, bro. They just, no. they fumbled hard. I don't know what's yeah. going on there. Allow I honestly a, don't allow know. Allow me a few minutes to sell you on the gray man. No, <laughs> no, we're not going into this. We're not going into this. That movie was bad. Is that a that, ticket refund idea? Gray okay. Man? Gray no. Man is a ticket refund for me. That no. was Fast and the Furious bad. <laughs> you shut your mouth. We'll talk about this at the end of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> no even, teasing. No even, teasing. Even when you hear the credits, everybody, stay on. It's like an end credits. It's a an extra little bit we're going to th- do at the end. Yeah. The stinger. Hey, so um, speaking about Joel and Ethan Cohen, one of I don't know if they branched off or they just maybe sometimes do separate projects by themselves. Yeah. But uh, one of the two, maybe I don't know if it was Joel or Ethan, but they did recently a um, new version of Macbeth. Is that right? Oh. That oh, had, that I, had I Denzel Washington in it. And um, who was the the female? Uh, I can't remember. It was, the maybe, lead actress? What, was it uh, Frances McDormand, I think, maybe was playing? I don't Lady know. Macbeth? I don't remember. But um, yeah, I know it was directed by one of them. But only one of them. No, I cannot recall, but I think I remember seeing another one that's more recent where it was just one of them too. Mm-hmm. So they don't always work together. Yeah. Or maybe that's just more recently where it's like, you know, one will... I hope they don't stop doing that. You know, I always get nervous when um, like two people that are together, or even a band, they, they start to have success by themselves and say, well, do I really need to work with them again? Mm. Like maybe we can just close that door and, and, and let that chapter be what yeah, it was. Yeah, I hope not. No, I want to continue to see them, like their names as yeah. co-directors, you know. If, and like we said, if, if it leads to such great results, you know, why yeah. fix what's not broken? Right on. I don't know. Uh, cinematography I'm excited to talk about. Go for the it. The great Roger Deakins. <sighs> 
director uh, of photography. That anything that dude touches is gold. Sir like Roger he, Deakins. He can't do a bad job. He's he's done a lot of films that you would know, Andy. And the reason that uh, visually they're so beautiful uh, is because of that guy. This guy does a great job. Uh, the Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is another Western that he did. No Country for Old Men. Another what many consider to be a Western, but more modern times. He did 1917. He did Skyfall. Yep. Which again, of all the, you know, Daniel Craig Bond films, is the most beautiful. It is the most stylish. Yeah. yeah. It just looks fantastic. He did Blade Runner 2049. That's right. Yeah, he did Blade Runner. I mean, he he has a stacked resume. Yeah. And uh, his experience shows. So what's interesting about cinematography in in this movie is that whenever you're dealing with uh, something that takes place in this time period, you had to be very careful with your light sources. You know, you can't have uh, like a harsh electric light providing right. the light for a scene because that kind of light source doesn't exist in this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so he was very faithful to that. And that's why everything looks even more authentic. Yeah. By relying on a lot of natural light, you know, from the sun. Maybe a, lanterns and everything. From a full moon. Gas As, lanterns yeah. and oil lamps. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you get that very gorgeous, you know, hue of color right. in the lighting. You just you might need more of them in order to light it the way it can be visible to the audience and for it to look attractive. Mm -hmm. But they're still they're, they still use stuff from that time period, so it looks really authentic. Exactly. And that's as far as lighting. And I want to use the courtroom scene when Cogburn is giving his testimony to to discuss this as well, because whenever that scene begins. You're, you're seeing it from the point of view of Matty Ross. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you kind of see Cogburn from a distance. Uh, he's obstructed by a lot of the onlookers there in the courtroom. And then the camera will gently move as she moves. Mm -hmm. And now you get a better view of him. Yeah. And all this is happening simultaneously as you're listening to his testimony. Yeah. And by doing so... Isn't the natural light coming through? Oh, yes. The it windows and everything? Beautiful. Yeah. The sunlight. And then you're... But it's almost as if as, as Matty Ross's is learning more about him we're learning more about him as a character i mean almost right off the bat mm -hmm. right you you get the sense of okay yes he's a lawman mm -hmm. he's he's the marshal um but he's also a marshal that is going to bend or break rules mm -hmm. to achieve his objective yeah and in that we see some of his character flaws as well you know his stubbornness he's a bit of a smart aleck too. exactly yeah um and so as we get closer and closer, as the camera moves closer and closer, we are no longer it, like um, from Matty Ross's point of view. But now it's just the audience. Mm -hmm. Now engaging with these characters and his discussion with the lawyers and how his persona is starting to fall apart under that cross-examination. So there's a lot of very subtle things that the camera will do that you don't really notice until you go back and you see Oh yeah, this is this is why it's moving this way. Yeah, and this is why you know the change in, in cuts and uh, and and how each shot is framed. Yeah, I wonder, do they allow the director of cinematography, in this case Deacons, to make those decisions? Like, how do you want to do this scene, or do they tell him this is what we're going for, and then he has to figure out a way to do it? Um, because I, I feel like the guy has so much knowledge and experience that if he were to look at the script, he could just write notes and say, this is how I'm going to do it. I feel like that's how they have to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that because they're the ones that are in charge of how the camera is going to like what the camera picks up, how it's going to look in the frame and the movement of the camera too. Um, they're the ones that have to be able to, you know, look at it and say, all right, we need to achieve this type of look. 
We're gonna need this type of lighting. We're gonna need this type of lens. We're gonna need this type of rig to get this type of movement. Right. Like they're the ones that have to be in charge of that and they have to work closely with the director because the director has to be able to tell them the intent of the scene, mm -hmm. you know? Like what is it that we're trying to communicate to the audience and how can the camera help us tell that? Yeah. And in this case, since you know they have to be very specific with the lighting, it yeah. comes down to what time of day do we need to film this? Well, I you think know. there's lights that can replicate natural light natural light okay i'm not 100 percent sure i'm sure it's very expensive and difficult to do but if they manage to use natural light to their advantage even better yeah there's nothing like the real thing yeah you know you but uh but yes i i use that thing andy was that a mo Did i was, you just, I was ain't tempted to but the real thing baby <laughs> something like that ain't nothing like the real thing okay <laughs> <laughs> we're not laughing at you we're yeah. laughing with you I use the courtroom scene, but also uh, so many scenes, you can just like pick one and just, you know, marvel at the beauty of it. There's uh, winter scenes in Indian territory, uh, any scene that's at night that's just lit by fire, campfire or fireplace or a, or a lantern, um, or even when there's no light at all except from the moon and the stars, but it's still at least visible for the audience, you know? Yeah. Things like that, it's just, I mean, it's excellent. Um, now the script and the screenplay written by the Coens as well, based off of the novel, by on the novel by Charles Portia, 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 Portia. I would think it's Portia. Sign? I'm guessing though. Yeah, uh, like we said, faithful adaptation. There are a few differences which I would like to mention during the egg drops. This is not me teasing, by the way, because I condemned that fully. Sounds like a tease. It sounds like a tease to me shut too. Up. Shut yeah. up! Shut up! Shut up! The score was <laughs> Carter Burwell. Um, any thoughts on the score or the music of this movie? Uh, it wasn't necessarily memorable to me. I wasn't paying attention for it. Mm. I was really engrossed in the dialogue, though. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that some of the score is really rousing in the moments where it's supposed to be and menacing in parts where it's supposed to be, but yeah. um, I would just say it was good. It's good. Outstanding, maybe not, but good. Very good. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just quickly give a shout-out to people that worked in the wardrobe and the special effects oh, for this movie yeah. because... Uh, it took a, a large group of people, a big team, to accomplish this, and uh, it really led to the authenticity of it. The uh, teeth of Lucky Ned Pepper. Wow. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. That's believable for the 1800s, you oh, know? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Could you imagine what his breath smelled like? I think everybody's breath was bad. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, his had to be way worse, his right? His had to be, yeah. yeah. That, oh my he's, God. He's probably got a lot of, like... Uh, what do you call it? It's just... Um, He's the spokesperson for gingivitis, without a yeah, doubt. Yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. awful. He's, he's got... Sometimes people have issues that cause their breath to stink really bad. Yeah. And there's not... I mean, back then, there was nothing you could do about it. Now, you can get certain surgeries done yeah. uh, to fix it, but wow. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, and even he had friends. Let that be a lesson to you, listener. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, quick question. Were there any giant explosions in this movie? I don't recall. Explosions? Yeah, no. like like huge explosions. No, right? No, no. no. I, don't, I can't think of any explosion in this movie. No, there was no use of dynamite or TNT or anything yeah. like that. Not that they didn't would exist been, at the time. It would have been nice to have just one, right? Like, I think Western, and I think, like, yeah, like dynamite. You know, the sticks and everything. And, and this, like, just... I, I love seeing wood getting blown up. As, know, a, as, sure. a, as a throwback to them shooting cornbread... Cogburn throws a stick of dynamite, a dynamite that Lucky Ned Pepper <laughs> catches, and he shoots it right as he does. 
and he blows up. Shield of beef, I never miss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, cast and crew, props to you. Let's move on to winners and losers. Uh, best performance of the movie? Jeff Bridges. Andy? I have to find my notes. Sorry, I scrolled too far. I put Haley Steinfeld. That's a fair choice. I, I wrote. Like it. Uh, yeah. I literally knew that within the first ten minutes of the movie starting. I'm like, she she won the movie for me. She's the mm. best. Yeah, ten yeah. minutes in, I'm like, she's fantastic. I think that she is fantastic. I think she's she she definitely steals the movie. Uh, but best performance, I still have to give to Bridges because of his experience acting, and this is Steinfeld's first movie ever. Yeah, I so. just I just can't do that. I can't just I I can't say oh the new kid just beat all of y'all. You know, mm. I, I didn't feel right putting that down. Just That's, something felt wrong about it. So that let, sounds let, let biased. Me, let me okay. qualify that real quick. So I put Haley Steinfeld within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Literally 10 minutes in, I'm like, it's her. Uh-huh. But by the end of the movie, I put Jeff Bridges right underneath because he was so freaking good. <laughs> yeah. He was really, really good. I wrote down uh, Little Blackie. <laughs> it's difficult for a horse to act the way that this horse acted. He had to like act as if he was almost drowning in the river. He had to like run himself to exhaustion. His, Little Blackie's death scene was oh, very well acted. That, that was hard to watch. I know because the horse did an amazing job. <laughs> I'm kidding. I also was between Bridges and Steinfeld. Um, I I want to say Bridges mm-hmm. for the best performance, and it's like you said, he's a veteran actor, and man, did he nail that accent? It's yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy good. But for being Steinfeld's first motion picture like feature. Uh, fantastic job, yeah. man! She did so so good. She what about delivered. the what about the worst performance? I didn't have anybody for this. Nobody? I th- no, I didn't. I have some. It's the same one I have. Harold Parmalee, the animal sounds guy. That's mine. That's exactly mine. The animal who? Yeah. Animal sounds. The guy. That's making... all he would say. Oh, oh my gosh! It's not a. <laughs> but that's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I know. I mean, it was. It was funny. It was just like, this guy's an idiot, but I can't give him worse performance because that's what was written for him. Literally, they gave him a script that said, all you're going to do is make animal sounds. So how can you blame the guy? He might be a really talented actor. You could put most annoying performance, but not worse performance. Okay, Because he excelled at what he was there to do. So we'll say worst. I mean, most annoying performance. Could you imagine then. being uh, that actor and then like this is like one of your I first don't movies, care. Or you're, or you're in a Coen Brothers I, movie. That's the thing. And then I you do tell not your parents, care. I'm in a Coen Brothers movie. And yeah. then they go to see the movie and all you're doing is making animal noises. Like how disappointed you have to feel. Oh my gosh. I don't care. Got paid and got to work with the Coen Brothers. My boy was in that movie. Did you see it? That True Grit movie. Which one is he? He's that one that's uh. Doing all the animal noises and everything, and they're like, Oh, oh, that's interesting, Bill. (laughs) That's it, that's all they have to say. That's all they have to say. What else are they gonna say? Okay, give us your your best line, Stephen, because I know you have 18 of them written down. Best line, okay. I did have a lot of them, but um, I'm gonna go ahead and just give my best line, okay, for for, uh, to keep things speedy. <laughs> it's actually a very funny one. It's it's best line. Can I? It's like an excerpt. Can I go ahead go and ahead, do that? Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So when Cogburn says the Jake Sock sorry. Let me try that again. <clears throat> uh, I wonder if I should just use my normal voice. Okay. No, do the accent. All right, I'll try my best. The Jake's occupied. And then Maddie Ross oh, says, yeah. "I know it is occupied, Mr. Cogburn. As I said, I have business with you." 
I have prior business. He's on the can yeah, while he's, he's doing this, can, okay? Yes, I know. And then Maddie goes, you have been at it for quite some time, Mr. Cogburn. <laughs> and Cogburn says, and this is my favorite line, there is no clock on my business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using that whenever I'm on the can. With my, when my wife comes by and she's just like, you've been at it for a while, Steve-o. There is no clock. And I'm going to be like, there's no clock on my business. <laughs> can I guess Andy's best line? Okay, well, I wrote down five. If I had to pick one, I, I can. But you want to try to guess it? It's adios. No. Dang it. <laughs> that would be amazing if it was. I know. <laughs> what, what, what are yours, Andy? Okay, so, that, so I, like I said, I, I wrote five. You must pay for everything in this world one way or another. Got that one. There is nothing free except the grace of God. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a good line. Yeah. If it ain't, ain't locked and... If it ain't loaded and cocked, it don't shoot. Uh, it was a cold-blooded bushwhack. <laughs> I, I loved that line. Yeah. I laughed. <laughs> Andy, start using that line. And, it was a I, I want you to say that once cold in a while. Cold-blooded bushwhack? Yeah. It's that's, like, what, it's, that's what you guys did to whenever, my Russo brothers <laughs> argument. Yeah. It was a you cold bushwhacked it. Yeah. It was a cold-blooded bushwhack. Okay, this one was a strong contender for, for number one, but it was uh, number two. Mm. I don't believe in fairy tales or sermons or stories about money, baby sister, but thanks for the cigarette. <laughs> That's and me. then my number one pick, if them men wanted a decent burial, they should have gotten themselves killed in summer. Yeah, <laughs> I had that as my runner-up. That's a good yeah. one. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I wrote down a ton, but I will not uh, read them all. Um, some of my favorite ones will be, um, not only does he cease to talk, but he spills the banks of English. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. Uh, Labeef saying, I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your, your eye. eye. <laughs> I like that. that. The way he says it, and he kind of like turns his head too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Matt Damon was so good in this movie. Another, I, We got to give him his flowers. Exactly. Another Matt Damon line that I really liked is when he tells Matty Ross, you have earned your spurs. That is sure enough. I misjudged you as well. I extend my hand. Mm. I just thought it was a very... I mean, just kind scene, especially since only moments ago he was essentially whipping her with a birch yeah. switch. So. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, when both Cogburn and Labeef speak just for a little bit, and you know Cogburn says, "I'm in your debt for that shot, part," to which he says, "Never doubt the Texas Ranger." <laughs> <laughs> okay, B, that's gonna be your line going forward. Okay, I want you to everywhere you go. You know, and anybody says thank you to you, I want you to say, never doubt the Texas Ranger. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to be saying that. <laughs> um, oh, and then the very last line of the movie, time just gets away from us. Mm -hmm. Which is what we say on this podcast every single time. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that's the story of this pod. <laughs> what about the worst line? Uh, I had the Undertaker. <laughs> Which one? That uh, would be all right? Yeah, well, he says, uh, if you would like to sleep in a coffin, it would be all right. <laughs> And what gets me is not only is that weird and creepy and why in the world would you want to sleep in a coffin, yeah. but he repeats it. Yeah. He says it twice. <laughs> if you would like to sleep in a coffin, it would be all right. Right. It's just like, no, you already offered it, dude, and she wasn't looking forward to it. I don't think she's sleeping in a coffin. He has a secret fetish about people sleeping in coffins. Oh, my gosh. He's going to like pull out a paper and pencil and start drawing her in the coffin. What the heck? Oh, my gosh. He's a weirdo. I have a feeling, man. Well, just because the man looks weird. Well, to be a mortician... To say that line, weird. you have to be weird. 
Yeah, well, at the very least, socially unaware. If I worked at a funeral place, or, or you know, where they sell coffins, mm -hmm. and somebody has to spend the night, I would not tell them, if you would like to sleep in one of the coffins, it's cool. Hey, but the coffins have pillows. <laughs> it's like his mind broke. Did you see that? I didn't he just... that. I can't believe <laughs> Andy, what's your worst line? Okay, so I have three here. Uh, two of them are related. When Maddie says, I'll call him Lil Blackie to the black child. And the black child responds, that's a good name. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, come on, bro. Wow. Wow, he didn't, get, he didn't get offended or anything. He's just like, yes, That's a, good name. a white girl wants to call a horse Blackie. And then later on, Maddie says, sleep well, little Blackie. Like, that's very dark. <laughs> but my worst line was, while I sat there watching you, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss, though you are very young and sick and unattractive to boot. Yeah. So that was a beef to Maddie. Yeah. yeah. That is the quadfecta of offensive. Yeah. I watched you while you were sleeping. Yep. One. Yeah. Thought about sexually assaulting you. Two. <laughs> oh but you gosh. are sick. Three. And ugly. Four. <laughs> wow. That was my that was my worst line. I think that Labeef probably isn't very good with the ladies, right? No. Uh, I guess no. not. He's constantly traveling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you I can't keep a relationship. Literally wrote the exact same line at the end. I just put. <laughs> <laughs> Out of everyone involved in this movie, cast and crew, who deserves to be remembered the most? Can I say something that might be a little bit controversial? You always do. I don't okay. see this as any different. Okay. <laughs> Even though it's not probably the correct answer, I just threw in Matt Damon here because um, I was so impressed with him taking on a role like this. Mm -hmm. I had never seen him, or I haven't heard to date that he's ever done another Western. Hmm. And uh, for him to be playing a Texan, because he's from Boston, he's the most un-Texan person <laughs> you could think of. Like, yeah. he is not, he has nothing in common with Texas. Yeah. And yet he played a Texan so well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think he absolutely killed it. And... That's why I would love for him to be remembered. I don't know if he's the one who deserves to be the most remembered. That's probably not right. But I wish people would remember him for this role. You know, that is not that hot of a take at all. That okay. is like a tepid take. Good. Good. That should be a segment. Tepid takes. <laughs> you know? But no, I, I know, totally get it. It's yeah. like his his when somebody does something that isn't in their wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. It's want, a challenge, right? Yeah, for them. It's, it's <laughs> a challenge, but also if they really excel at it or they do a good job... Don't you want them to have recognition for it? I agree. Like, if they're going to do a, a montage of Matt Damon's movies, I would really like for this to be in there. Mm -hmm. You know? Just a few seconds of this movie, him doing that accent, and people will be like, wow, look, he even did that? I didn't even know he was capable of that, but he yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 fair, dude. Okay. I like that. What about you, Andy? Harold Parmalee, the animal sounds guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, no! I've never heard anybody do animal sounds that well. That's my answer for who should be forgotten. <laughs> no, okay, seriously, I said Haley Steinfeld. That's not really exciting, but that's my answer. And I, that, That's a great answer. And that is still good because her career took off. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in a way, she has been remembered for this movie. First movie gets an Oscar nomination. Is that not great? Yeah. <laughs> Like she knocked it out of the oh park. Oh my god! And let me just say, her dialogue was like the—I would say probably the most difficult of oh, this yeah. movie. She, she, like, she has dense dialogue. She yeah. says a lot. She sells it. Other than the accent that Jeff Bridges does, her her lines were harder. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And not only that, she also has an accent. Do you we, know that Arkansan accent. Do we know how old she was? Thirteen. Thirteen when she made this movie. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
she for was 13 a 13 years year old, old to remember all those lines and using an English that has now been abandoned completely, that's impressive. Man. She said it was tough. She said that she had to work with a dialect coach to be able to to nail that accent down, but it totally paid off. And but I mean, a lot of it has to do with her talent. So those were the two that I had written down as well. I'm I'm torn between Bridges and Steinfeld. Yeah. And I say that because, like, again, Steinfeld is technically remembered for this movie because it's what put her on the map. Yeah. And it like you know she just launched from there. Yeah. But Bridges really embodies the character of Rooster Cogburn. Yeah. Like I don't see anybody. And we can talk about it in Castaway, but I don't see anybody else doing it as well as he did. Uh, for me, he deserves the Oscar and not John Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah. But I, I didn't see the original. But did you I, see the original? Yeah. That. Yeah. I did. What did you think about it? Uh, did, what, did you watch it in preparation for this pod? No, I, no. I watched it time ago having already seen this version of True Grit, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it is inferior. Okay. Cool. I'm, and that's just me speaking objectively. Yeah. I'm not I, saying it's a waste of your time. It's not a ticket refund, but I, this I, one's better. You know, I love it when a remake can surpass the original. Yeah. I'm never offended by that. Mm-hmm. If somebody were to redo Ocean's Eleven right now and just blow the 2001 version out of the water, I'm cool with it. I just don't see how that's possible. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm sure that they, I, I'm sure fans of True Grit, the the 60s or 70s version of it, whatever it was, uh, they probably said the same thing at the time. No one's gonna ever top this if they're alive. No one's ever gonna top John Wayne's performance. Oh, uh, that, and, uh, that's you know that's a low bar. <laughs> at, <laughs> Very at, low at, bar. At the, at the time, they were probably thinking this is it. This is like okay. as, as as good as it gets. No, that and, and yeah, I I I do understand. I yeah. do. But as far as these two go, yeah, there's no comparison, at least in my opinion. This episode of Group Film is brought to you by Fur Chaps, the epitome of Western wear. Fur Chaps bring you unmatched quality and comfort. Whether you're the leader of a, of a notorious gang, or you need something to distract you from horrible tooth decay, or you simply want a little tickle while you ride, get a pair of Fur Chaps today. Use promo code MMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMM
I wrote down who should be forgotten, Grandma Turner. <laughs> oh my god, Grandma Turner. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of cute. What? what? I <laughs> still have a better answer than that. Really? Forster and his bear skin. <laughs> I have a bear skin. <laughs> What's wrong with Forster? Dude, Andy, your accent's pretty good. Can He's you do awesome. that again? Hang on, hang on. I want to hear it again. I can't repeat it. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to listen back to this. I really liked it. I, I like Forster. I didn't know that you could do the Does accent. Is that going to be my ringtone? <laughs> I have Forster. a bear skin. <laughs> Forster the dentist? I yeah. thought he was pretty cool. No, he was the worst. <laughs> that dude cracked me up. Yeah. I was just like, this give, guy's so weird. It's just so random. So random, but man. funny. Give me animal sound guy any yeah. day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Andy, what, what do you do if you encounter him in real life? Yeah. Like, or he's next to you on a plane, dude. Not, not, the, not the actor. The character is literally next to you on, on the plane. He's on a plane for the first time in dressed, his life. Dressed the dressed same way. Just like that, and yeah. he wants to make conversation I'm with paying you. to switch with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that accepts is him, so you just switch seats with him. Oh man, we no, got egg drops next. That's good. We certainly do. We all love dropping our eggs. So Easter eggs, little known facts, any foreshadowing or symbolism that we saw in this movie. Uh, anybody who wants to go first, I do have a few, but uh, anybody feel free to start. What do you got? Um, you I, I forgive me for this, but I think that towards the beginning of the movie they were talking about snakes at a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. They made reference to them, and uh, I believe it was in a dangerous context, right? Yeah, I, uh, I I wrote that one down. Yeah, and sure enough, they come back at the very end of the movie, or they show up at the end of the movie, not mm-hmm. one, but multiple of them, and um, present that danger and actually act on it. It is very, it's actually quite straightforward, the foreshadowing there at the beginning, because yes, uh, Cogburn, you see him putting a rope around his little sleeping area, which is believed to be able to ward off snakes. A rope? A rope. Really? Yeah, that lasso. What's the thought process? I don't know if it's because they think it's a bigger snake or Uh, if it's just like a natural barrier that a snake is going to naturally avoid. Yeah. But that's the thinking. And uh, to that, you know, Labeef says that all the snakes are asleep right now, but they can wake up. Mm -hmm. Is what Bridget says. And so Maddie asks for rope. And this is the foreshadowing that I wrote down is that she asks for rope too, to which Cogburn says, a snake would not bother you. You are too little and bony. (laughs) <laughs> but she is Ends the one that gets that bit. actually gets bit later. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what else you got? Uh, I have nothing else. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> you like Long that? pause. You, you like yeah. that dramatic pause? It was very in the style of a western, <coughs> right? They would take a long dramatic pause. All the and then just say, "I got nothing." All the drama is wearing off on you, dude. Mm. I don't know if I like it yet or not, though. I need to use my accent again. That's what you need from me. <laughs> I wrote down. That was a little Bama right there. Here's what Here's what else I wrote I down. can't do it consistently. <laughs> I wrote down that uh, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting that the story begins with Maddie moving the body of her father and ends the movie with her moving the body of her father figure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I so thought about that. Uh, I wrote that. I wrote about the accents and how they were very difficult from Arkansas, from from Texas. In fact, uh, Matt Damon, after the scene where he, you know, almost bites through his tongue, um, apparently he had a hair tie around his tongue to be able to get his speech pattern right mm. <clears throat> for everything after that. Wow. Um, 
And then I also thought it was interesting that the proverb that uh, we actually referenced at the beginning of our recap, that's at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, which clearly shows Cheney's action because he's fleeing, mm-hmm. even though no one's pursuing him. But the rest of the proverb says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. But obviously, instead of telling us that, we see it mm-hmm. at the rest of the movie because mm-hmm. that's what follows. So I thought that was pretty cool. That it was cool. I liked it. Um, Andy, do you have more eggs for us? I have a couple. So some have been talked about already by you guys. We talked about some in the beginning of the movie. But so I, I looked up Maddie's $50 bounty, how much that would be today. That's interesting. Equivalent. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so the $50, which is the original agreement, would have been about 1500 bucks. So the $100 that she ends up technically paying Cogburn would have been just under $3,000. Wow. That's a lot. That is. That's yeah. crazy. Which that's kind of, for technically a hitman, because she was okay if he died, that's kind of mm-hmm. low. I don't think you could get a hitman for $3,000 today. Well, I'll not- do some more research on that. And I'll get <laughs> well, back to well, you. you might be able to get a hitman, but not a really good hitman. The dark web. And this ha- this hitman had the authority of the law on his side, too. Yeah, so you're saying get a crooked cop. For three grand, I could get a crooked cop. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Uh, because of child labor laws, Haley Steinfeld couldn't film at night, so they often had to use an adult stunt double in her place for the night scenes. Wow, okay. Oh, I had no idea. That's interesting. Um, the two front buckles on Matt Damon's cowboy hat formed the letter B as a nod to his hometown Boston Red Sox. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a nod to beef. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's La Beef. There you go. Yeah. And then one more. The film was the final DVD ever mailed by Netflix before that operation ceased to exist. Wow. That's interesting. I one. actually kind of forgot Netflix did that. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> that is so cool. I also wrote down some of the differences between the movie and the book, but it's not many because the Coen brothers really did try to keep a faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. The uh, Actually, funnily enough, Forrester, the, the guy in the bear suit, yeah. does not exist in the book. That oh, is 100% okay. a Coen invention gotcha. that they threw in there. They just thought it'd be cool and funny. The and under- it was. Yeah. And, like, and what you said about The Undertaker... Um, or, sorry, Maddie saying if she can stay at mm-hmm. the Undertaker's place. That was also not in the book. Mm. And all three men being hanged at the beginning of the building, uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, are allowed to speak in the book. Okay. The uh, the Native how, American being how, cut how, off. How horrible was that? I saw that. Okay, I want to say, say two things on this scene. Because thanks for reminding me. That guy all the way on the far left, I, who might have spoke... First or second, I'm not sure. That yeah. is a man. Second, that, second, second, second guy. That here. guy was ready to die. Yeah, like he he was just like, I did what I did. I lived my life. I'm I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is impressive. That level of courage, you know, before death. Mm. And then I felt so bad for the Native American guy <laughs> because he's just like, I would just like to say, and they just boom, <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's. Dark humor. Savage. That is dark that humor there. Savage. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those were the only differences. And the last thing I wrote down because I did not know is that the voice of Lawyer Daggett is J.K. Simmons. I picked up on that immediately. I said that's J.K. Simmons' voice. I did not. <laughs> I heard it immediately. Oh. Yeah, he has such a distinctive voice, and I for some reason I just didn't I didn't realize it. I, I thought, didn't pick it up. I thought what a waste if we don't ever see him and yeah. we never saw him. No, like, just his voice. <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe under Castaway, our next segment, we can talk about, you know, what if we swapped out J.K. Simmons for James Earl Jones? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you, do we know if anyone almost got casted but turned this down? I could not find anything. Neither I did, did not I. find anything. No, All I saw was that they had to cast a very wide net to to finally land on Haley Seinfeld for mm. for her role. Like yeah. I think they saw like fifteen hundred auditions. You know what? When it comes to child actors, they do that stuff. Yeah. They go through thousands of people sometimes. Especially if they're the focus of the movie. Right. They have to get it right. Yeah. And I think they did. But if we swap somebody in this movie with another actor in the same movie, or perhaps another actor entirely, what do you think would be interesting? I've got a couple here. <clears throat> so we were talking about, could anybody actually do Cogburn? I don't know if this person could do it better, but I think they might do a decent job and it might be interesting. What mm -hmm. about Samuel L. Jackson? As Cogburn? As Cogburn. He's kind of got that like always irritated kind of vibe going anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it might be easier for him to do that. Or he might really be able to like, you know, tune into that. I can see it. Um, and then the other one was for swapping. I could see Josh Brolin as Labeef and Damon as Chaney. And I feel like the movie still works. They could pull it off. Each one of those could pull the other role off. I don't know if it's better, but I think they could do it. I think you may be right. I can see Damon as the cowardly kind of, you know, guy on the run. Right. And I can definitely see Josh Brolin being a, a Texas Ranger. Do you think Josh Brolin could pull off some of the more humorous type parts of the character? It wouldn't be as funny as Damon, but the thing is, it's because we see Damon as potentially funny anyway. Mm. You know, because he's done stuff that's been kind of funny in the past. Yeah, because I think Josh Brolin has never done anything comedic. Not really. So, he, but when he is comedic, it's very dry humor. Yeah. You know, you don't really notice it in like his expressions. Yeah. It's just what he says. Yeah. That's funny. I just think that Brolin could do it also. And Damon could play the other part. I could see it though. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. Again, like when I, I say this all the time, I'm not saying that it's a good idea. <laughs> I'm just saying. You don't have to defend I, this every well, time we well, do the well, actor swap. Well, because the first time I well. did it, you know, with Casino, and I mentioned Tom Cruise, and uh, yeah, that was bad. And, uh, and uh, what's his name, uh, Daniel Craig as as Ethan Hunt. You guys like devoured me, left me with nothing but my heart and some bones. Yeah, that one was not good. Oh my gosh, I probably. What I, what I was thinking is if Ned Pepper, the actor, and Tom Chaney were to switch, Josh Brolin as Ned Pepper. Okay. And then the actor... Yeah, that works too. Yeah. I agree. I yeah, think I that like that, that would be an easy an easy swap. Jeb and Andy? I only have one. Uh, Denzel Washington as Cogburn. We've already seen him in a movie. Have you noticed Having... how we put Denzel in there all the time? I wish I could put Denzel love, in every movie. I love Denzel. Denzel, it's like we can find a role for him. Okay, yeah. but just think. on Man, In Man <clears throat> on Fire, he's there being annoyed at a little girl. He could do it again in this movie, being mm. annoyed at a little girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's also the kind of, he can be short and he can be angry and frustrated. And he's played drunks in movies before. So he has like all the qualifications to do the part. Yeah. I think that um, having African-American um, cowboys and lawmen in that time period is something That's the that part they haven't. That doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. I think they want it to be historically accurate. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of movies do it now just because they they want to be a little bit more diverse and interesting. And we say, well, why not? You know, that's the attitude. Why not? Um, but I, I think that 2010 was too early for that. And uh, I think they, the Coen brothers really wanted to be accurate as opposed to just cool. Mm, I see. But I mean, so I, so I don't know that. You know, a black actor would have been 
assigned one of those roles unless right. that was something kind of, I don't I'm not entirely positive that there weren't like black lawmen and black uh, Texas Rangers and, at the time at the time I mean I don't I don't think so but I could be wrong if it's towards the late 1800s yeah. if it's towards the late 1800s I guess it's technically possible you know mm-hmm. Civil War has ended the Emancipation Proclamation as well but yeah. it, it would heavily de- depend on like what area of the country we're looking at and yeah, yeah and, and I mean if it's technically possible I don't yeah. know Den- um, Denzel ended up playing like a, I don't know if, I, he might have been a criminal in the Magnificent Seven hmm. he played a, a southern you know uh, you know cowboy type oh did he yeah okay so I mean I, I, I think it just depends yeah but I mean the whole point of, of the actor swap is just to see like the character itself, can they pull it off, right? But those yeah. are pretty interesting. Those are pretty interesting choices. Do you have a line, Steven? I don't have one for this. I'm How r- dare guys, I'm running, you? I'm running out of... like. How imp- dare you, dude? Impersonations. Like, I, we I depend done, on you for this. How many impersonations have I done by now? Like 12? All of them. You guys have not done any? And you it's have like, to I'm do running out of ideas. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that many impersonations. I'm going to have to start recycling them. <laughs> Unless you want... If you can throw something out right now, real quick. And tell me, like, do this line as this person. I'll, I'll give it a go. But otherwise, we can just move on. Well, can you um, can you say a line of Rooster Cogburns, which we can probably we can probably take from this one here. Here, I, I got one that I'll do. Um, <laughs> this is going to be so lame. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be so lame. <laughs> you right, let us I'm gonna, be the I'm judge gonna, of that. <clears throat> I'm going to do... The Undertaker's line that I hate okay. and I thought was the worst line. Yes. As Darth Vader. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, you ready? If you would like to sleep in a coffin, it would be all right. <laughs> <laughs> what accent are you doing? What? <laughs> That's, that's my this? best. That's my best Vader, man. Who is this Vader, dude? Oh my god! <laughs> I liked it. I thought that was pretty good. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. See, we always depend on you, dude. You uh, do great. You guys have to start preparing for this. I'm not. I'm looking at you, Andy. I don't do. I know voices. you. You can do <laughs> impersonations sometimes. You do. Do like Quagmire, Peter Griffin, or something. Or do Herbert the Pervert. I don't care. I can't <laughs> but do, do somebody. any of those. I can. I can't do. You guys can do some kind of impersonation. Even if it's a real life person that you know, do an impersonation because I cannot be the one person who does this every single time. Okay, we'll, for this we'll, show, we will discuss this for the next one. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's way too late. Yeah, watch, it's gonna be season four, and we're still gonna be like, <laughs> Steven, 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 you got anything? No, we're gonna scrap that before season four. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the hit of takes, guys. All right, Love so it. Uh, yeah, hit of takes are always interesting. Let's see what we come up with this time. What is Ease patience, the item that's too expensive to buy at retail. Uh, I think that ease not buying back those ponies. <laughs> uh, there's no way, and I think he stops negotiating with Maddie as soon as she keeps raising the price, <laughs> like for what she wants for every for all these things. I think he's just like, yeah, we're done, kid. We're yeah. done. Please leave. Please leave now. Oh my gosh, Andy. I said Marshall Cogburn Services because LaBeef offered to help for free. 
And so oh, it's like you don't have to pay. Yeah. Uh, so okay. we're, we're going with Labeef. We're going with Labeef. That's pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. I wrote down that uh, E is just Maddie Ross reincarnated. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but with real, all the negotiating? Yeah, exactly. Oh my but gosh. real answer would be the. Is, uh, is that Edgar like every time he calls customer service for any company? Not really. I is think he, we're is painting, he that type? We're painting a picture of E that is not accurate is this, at all. He's well, not let, like let's, this. We're, we, I like doing like a heightened version of, of E. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in, in Ocean's Eleven, Las Vegas is what people want it to be or, or, or see it as, yeah. not what it actually is in reality. The like, romanticized that's what we, yeah, version. That's what we do here in Hit It Takes. Uh-huh. It's, like what, it's like E to the extreme. E to the extreme yeah. is... That sounds like it could be a podcast if he wanted to start it, right? E is, to the extreme. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that. Ah, well, there we go. If he ends up doing it, we'll just take a cut and he's going to negotiate it down. Yeah, and he could give like financial advice and stuff. I think he could do it. <laughs> My real answer to that was the $2 reward plus 10 cents a mile that was offered to Rooster Cockburn. If E 10 is, cents a mile? If, Back then, that was expensive, dude. Yeah. If E is Cockburn, then he's going to ask for more. Like, There's no way I'm going to be riding 50 miles <laughs> in Choctaw territory on a horse. Can you imagine? Just like reconstructions, like surgery. Yeah, no, but I mean, back then, like, is E living in that time? Yeah. If he's living in that time, that's quite a bit of money, isn't it? How much is it? It's like $3 a mile. $3 a mile. No. And, wait, and if they're oh, going to go like. Because 50 bucks was well, 1500 yeah. So yeah, then that might be too low 30. still, even. That's low. Like, yeah, I, yeah. That is no, low. $3, $3 a mile sounds like a deal. I don't know. You think so? I wouldn't want to do so. it for 3 bucks a mile. He's getting 50 for the whole thing, which includes, you know, the capture or killing. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying before Matty Ross enters the picture, this is the reward that was oh. offered to him as a marshal. Okay. And on top of that, Matty was going to do the $50. And that's the reward that I'm talking is that he is not accepting it. It's like, no way. I'm not doing this for $2 total plus 10 cents a mile. <laughs> <laughs> what about Sally's called it moment? Uh, I had Labeef is coming back to save Maddie. Okay, okay. Uh, I said the same thing. Labeef comes back. I say that when the pit is first mentioned, she calls that Maddie's going to fall in it. Because mm. they do mention it just in passing. Yeah. Like the... Um, Careful with that pit, right? Well, the first one to mention it is actually um, Chaney. Chaney says, okay. I'll throw you in that pit. But then Labeef also mentions it. Mind you, there's a pit there. Yeah. What about, uh, all right, here we go. Vexing issues. You guys go. I don't like vexing issues, to be honest. I mean, no disrespect. This is your vexing issues and everything, but I feel like it gets too nitpicky and it just brings the the whole room down as far as our appreciation for the movie. (laughs) So I'll let you guys say it while I just listen to what you have to say. I will say mine because it embodies what you just said. Okay. And it is a quote from Colonel Stonehill who says... The world as it is, is vexing enough. (laughs) Is that not perfect? That's a good line. That's from the movie. Yeah. I like that line, actually. What do you got, Andy? So I touched on this already. Uh, It was about the age, you know, how Labeef looked too young for the age he was supposed to be. Bridges looked too old. or I mean, he was his age, but he was too old for the character he was supposed to be playing. But one that we didn't talk about was Maddie. 
like 25 years past, so she's 39. That lady looked like she was in her 50s. Yeah. So she looked beat. I mean, it, like they didn't. Bad. They well, didn't age tough, really well they, back they then. They had a tough life. Yeah. I, yeah, I know, but man, people she, looked much older back wow. then. <laughs> that was rough. So maybe that's that makes it okay. Cockburn looked that because he had been a lawman, you know, chasing people for. 20 plus years. Didn't seem to have a very healthy diet. Yeah, but uh, then the opposite would be true. Lebeef looks like, what's his secret to not aging? That's true. Yeah. Them Texas. Texas, Texas <laughs> yeah. Them never never Texas, doubt a Texas Ranger. Texas Ranger dreams. <laughs> was that, was, was, that, that was, was the only one? All right, then let's move on to Miji's style trial. I had older Maddie. She's probably the most decently dressed. I wrote down that she's probably, she probably likes Ned's Furry chaps. No. <laughs> they're stylish, that's man. A, that's a no. Yeah, they're nice. That's not that's authentic fur right there. Ah, uh, she's it, come on, man. That's the most fashionable piece of clothing in the entire movie is those chaps. I will bet you a hundred dollars right now. If Miriam watches this movie, she's not picking that. <laughs> what do you got, Eddie? I said Labeef. I thought he was well dressed. All the tassels? I, I didn't he have a nice jacket on? But I seem it, to recall he had a nice Texas Ranger jacket. I mean, it's it looks like a leather jacket with tassels, or what is is that what it's called? The fringe? Is yeah, that what fringe. it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice jacket. <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of fringes. Me neither. <laughs> oh man, I'm what's, not a fan of spurs on boots either. What's the moment? Well, do you, you don't even have boots though? No. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big boots guy, but if I had boots, I wouldn't put spurs on them. For sure. All that clinkling, clinkling, clinkling would get on my nerves. It's for a purpose. You don't just wear spurs as an accessory. Some people probably would. Actually, some people do, and they're always criticized for it. Yeah. If you're wearing spurs, it's because you got to ride a horse, from what I'm told, because that's what it's for. All right. Uh, the moment that Kay is laughing out loud. Maddie getting swatted by Labeef. I put Labeef spanking Maddie while Marshall Cogburn walks. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like that you added that at the end, while Mar- Marshall Cogburn walks. <laughs> while he watches. Yeah. Uh, I put the, um, when Cogburn kicks the kids at Bagby's off the porch. Oh my gosh, that was so bad. Yeah. I love that. That's so bad. Yeah. It just feels racially motivated, doesn't it? No, because they, well, hold on. Before, <laughs> before we do that, Iris's I hate kids moment. Uh, Maddie throughout most of the movie. Really? I feel like that was not the case. Just so you know. Okay. I had nothing. I didn't see anything. Okay. So what I wrote down is those same kids because they're messing with the donkey mm-hmm. that's tied to the porch. Was yeah. that the actual answer? Was she getting mad about that? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. it's annoying. Yeah. And it's like, what the heck? That's yeah. why Cogburn goes and cuts the donkey loose and then kicks and the then kid. like throws one of the kids down and then on his way up kicks the other one who's just yeah. enjoying it. So. Yeah. It was justified. She definitely laughed at that moment. I wonder if in the credits they put no children were actually harmed in this movie. They don't need to. If anything, they said children were harmed, and it's the ones you're thinking of. <laughs> Chili's most hated tech? There was no tech in this movie, really, unless you count the rifles. I put the misfiring pistol. I did, too. Yeah. I put Maddie's okay. gun misfiring. Yep. I mean, okay. what's Chili's reaction? He's, he's about to shoot this guy, this fugitive, who's like charging after him, and it misfires. What does he say? How's this gun misfire? It's, it's freaking American made. Somebody gave me a Chinese rifle. Freaking gun. That's a Kansas gun. <laughs> All right. Nisa's um, that's not funny, honey. I had uh, the death of Little Blackie. Oh, that's not funny at all. Yeah. I, I, but she really loves animals. So I have a feeling that she would be extremely offended by that. 
To an extreme is what you're saying. Yes, to an extreme. Okay. Um, all right. I guess we'll, we'll accept that answer. Did you guys have a better one? Go for it. I put Maddie getting spanked. Yeah, that's a good one. That no, is... because we all grew up getting spanked, at least. But Caden's laughing at that, and she's saying that's not funny. Exactly. Because it is some stranger just spanking this 14-year-old girl. It's kind of weird. Well, I mean, that would happen back in the day, too. That's why Cogburn says, I will not. Like, I, did you ever get spanked by somebody who wasn't your mom or dad? No. I did. I just don't remember who it was. Because it's a repressed memory. Like, you need to get that out. <laughs> That's not good. No, but I mean, like, other relatives might do it. Oh, you know, I see. If you really get out of line or something uh, okay. like that. And in and, and those times, and I just know that it depends. It's, it's, it's antiquated at this point, but there were times where even, like, somebody who isn't a relative of yours, if you misbehaved, they would swat you. Yeah. yeah. You're not. I, I, okay, no, all right, whatever. You're it's a fine. 90s child, bro. I, that's I, why. I wrote down, I wrote down um, when, they're, when they execute the, the Native American, Tongue in the Rain, I think is his name, that they say. Whenever he says, Before I am hanged, I would like oh, to say. Oh, that is good. Because it is dark yeah. humor. It's played for laughs. Yeah. And she says, That's not funny. Wow. That's, he deserved to have his piece. That's a really good one. Andy's vacay spot? Nowhere. In this I, movie, the entire movie? I wrote literally, none, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down, go. in bed with Grandma Turner. Oh my gosh. Heck hey man, no. it's that's warm. Dirty. It's dirty. No, it's, it's just for warm. That's not warm. <laughs> she stole all the blankets. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and she snored. Oh. I might as well sleep outside. At every single setting in this movie where Maddie has to sleep, that's the most comfortable one. Honestly. It's a bed. It's either that, the coffin, or the cold hard ground in That's Choctaw true, Nation. If you had to choose between all those awful places. I'm or, sleeping in or, the coffin. <laughs> I'm alone it's still, and it's, undisturbed. It's still going to be cold, though. He'd probably hook her up with some blankets if she had asked. Mm. I don't he think kept he volunteering, like, you're welcome to yeah. stay here. I don't think he had blankets in that place. Sleep under another under a body. I really don't think that <laughs> under a body, as yeah. if that's gonna provide any Jesus. warmth. The smell's gonna be awful. I know, and it's gonna be cold. Jay's chef kiss. Uh, the only possible answer here is Labeef. Everyone else is dirt ugly. <laughs> is that what you got I too? Labeef. Uh, I put obviously Lucky Ned. And, oh uh, no way! And dude. second place is the uh, is the Undertaker. Heck no! <laughs> no way! All right. Stevo, what's your losing moment? What's your losing it moment? Take a guess, guys, and then I'll give you the actual answer. Mine is Rooster Cogburn charging at Ned's gang. Good one. I said Labeef making the shot from 400 yards. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was very anticlimactic. Yeah, like, like, what a lame way yeah, of doing yeah, it, like, dude. Okay, like, uh, like I you don't guys know. guess. Eh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> This is you losing okay. it? Yeah, well, this is what I mean, like you that, misplacing it. That shot is awesome, okay? I actually had here when Labeef comes back, shoots Josh Brolin's character, and, you know, takes hits. him off the cliff. Hits Josh Brolin's character. He hits him? Doesn't he shoot him? No, Maddie's the one that shoots Maddie him. Maddie shoots him, yeah. and he falls back. Yeah. Okay, so it's that. Okay. When Maddie shoots him. When Maddie shoots him, okay. Yeah. okay. Justice delivered by the daughter. She got what she wanted. Her revenge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's pretty good. That's fair. we were we were in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We we were. Right. Your answer was good, Andy. <laughs> yeah. And yours was too. Yeah. Thanks. I like both your answers. Thank you for. You guys are, are starting to understand me. We've always uh, we all we're always pretty close. We either get yeah, it right yeah, on or yeah, close. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> that's it for the hit it takes, guys. Good job. Nicely done. 
not i mean every time we don't have a whole long list of vexing issues i feel like it goes pretty smoothly yeah yeah uh, if I've, we tried do, to, I've tried to curb back on that. We go, we go on a huge tangent when that happens. All right, so let's move on to our final segment, and it's time for Last Looks. Okay. So I don't even know. What sequel idea do you have for this movie if there has to be one? The only thing I would love to see, honestly, because I enjoy those characters so much, is to see a spinoff um, where Cogburn and or Labeef uh, have their own adventure. You know, either chasing somebody else down or working together again, you know, and uh, Maddie just never found out about it, that they had another adventure together. Uh, they stayed in touch or whatever. And like, LaBeef, I need your help tracking down little dirty Brian Campos. <laughs> <laughs> Why? He, you can't even give me saw, a nickname, dude. We saw dude. him cross the Mississippi River the day before yesterday, and we need to get him. <laughs> you can you know? be Lil Brownie. <laughs> Lil uh- <laughs> <laughs> Please don't make that, that a nickname. That's your new nickname. Forget it. No. Brian Campos is now. No, I take it back. Little Brownie. Back. No. Every all of our listeners, we would like you to refer to him as Little Brownie for the next listen, two weeks. Not responding to that ever, oh ever, ever. No. I, I think that that would be cool. I would love to see that either in movie form or even like a, just a short mini series, talking like six episodes. That's it. But I like. Be fun. I like the idea of a spinoff. And they're they're still the char- the actors are still like within reason of. You know, re- can, they can reasonably play those characters again. It's not like Jeff Bridges can't play Cogburn again. Yeah. And Matt Damon is, is young enough to where he could still play, you know, um, LaBeef maybe 10 years later or whatever. Right. My spinoff idea is a Parks and Rec style show at the Undertaker's place. Oh, God. How <laughs> many? You just came up with this, didn't you? Did you just come up with this? Of Don't course not. <laughs> you, you just came up with this. You just came up with this. How awesome this would it be? This cannot be your idea. Like how, like, how many cool stories does this guy have? You know, people that have died. Maybe somebody comes in just pretending to be dead, and, like, he has to find out that they're not. I, I mean, oh, and my gosh. It can involve that sounds different, so bad. It can, like, uh, involve different departments or different stores in, there in town. I Hello, think it could welcome work. Welcome to the, our store. If you would like to test out any of the coffins, we can make those arrangements for you. We've got different sizes. <laughs> That's it? That's it? That's, That's all you it. got? That's all I got. If you would like a tour, it would be all right. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so much better at this improv than I am. No, it's not. Uh, um, Andy, any ideas? Mine was exactly the same as Stevens. Cogburn and uh, LaBeef, at some point, you know... Between in those 25 years, they've reconnected for whatever reason. And it could be like I, a, I would like it in a, a short, like six, eight episode Netflix type deal. It'd be like a buddy cop kind of series, you know what I mean? Yeah. Th- th- their banter would be the highlight of it all, you know? Yeah, exactly. Good chemistry. Instead of like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, you've got Rooster and the Beef. <laughs> oh my gosh! Rooster and the Beef! I love it! We got it. We got it. Where, That's it. Where does Lil Blackie fit into all this? Wow. He's gone, Andy. <laughs> Let him go. Let him go. What if he just pretended to shoot the horse so that she could, he could steal him for his horse? Mm. Why would he do that and then walk back? <laughs> to make, to sell the story. Oh, my god. He gosh. knew she's going to remember a little bit of this. Cogburn so. just looks at, no, whisper, like, as she's he, unconscious he or whatever. He shot next to the horse. He shot next to the horse, and then he's like, Lil Blackie, just stay there. Don't you say a word. I'll be back for you. <laughs> <laughs> just hush up now yeah. I'll be back that's great okay all keep, right all right keep the fleas off you <laughs> <laughs> so 
Let's give our final scores for this movie. A minus. That wow, that's quite high, dude. Yeah, that's pretty I, th good. This is an excellent movie. Um, the only reason I'm giving it an A minus and not an A uh, is simply because I feel like the it's not uh, an A movie has to be a nine out of ten, and I feel like this is like if there's something in between eight point nine and nine. <laughs> I would love to give that to this movie. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just how I, like it's not gonna. This movie's not gonna crack my top twenty films of all time, mm -hmm. but it's still so good. And I'm in the same boat, which yeah. is why I give it a very solid B plus. And on a technical level, I I'm really impressed by it. I really love it. It's really good, and I do enjoy it. I have seen it more than once, but I also recognize it is not. The easiest watch, especially if you're not a fan of westerns or just like dialogue-driven drama slash action. So um, in that aspect, like you, exactly like how you said, I don't think this is in my top 20, mm -hmm. but it is very well made. And I just want to like really recommend it for anybody listening to us right now. If, you've, if, if you're not a fan of westerns or you don't want to give westerns a shot, at least give this one a shot. Yeah. This is probably one of make this your first one. There you go, and you might you might be surprised. It means like, oh wow, I really like that, and yeah. maybe you'll be open to other ones in the future. Exactly, that's right. I was originally going to say A, but I didn't love 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 the ending where it's fast Aww. flash forward mm -hmm. with Maddie. So it's an A minus for me. You know, we really didn't talk about the ending. We didn't. I I did say it, it's poignant, right? Because it is emotional in the sense of like, man, how like. Part of me wishes that she could have seen, you know, Rooster Cogburn again before he passed and be able to catch up like old friends. The first time that you saw the movie, when she's approaching the two men, did you think that Rooster was the one on the left? I did not. I did. You did? Yeah. You thought it was him? Because he, he looks at her in a certain way and I'm just like, that's Rooster. And I knew it wasn't Jeff Bridges playing him, mm. but I thought that was the character. Oh. And sure enough, it wasn't. Right. So I was like, oh, wow. But it, it is it is a um, a bittersweet ending. Mm -hmm. It's it's bitter in the sense of man, I wish that they could have reunited in some way. You know, it, it was almost like this grand adventure happened, and at the very end, she's not even there. Like she's not even awake when Cogburn leaves. There's no last you know exchange of words or anything there, and and then we just jump ahead 25 years later, mm -hmm. and. But I, I don't know. That's, how, how hard was it for her to get in contact with him? Well, they have to like, write. How, there's only so many people that are like around. I think it's tougher for her to write to him because he doesn't have an established place. Mm -hmm. like, but at, he was always in the South, wasn't he? Well, no, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is Arkansas, but he's a U.S. Marshal. I think oh, he's just going to do whatever, true. you know? Yeah, that's true. Because it's like on a federal level. So I think it was tougher for her to get in touch with him He's the one that writes to her and invites her to see him in the Wild West show. Um, but no, that's the bitter part. But the sweet part is that you see, even after that time, you know, that those connections remain strong. Mm -hmm. And what they went through, you know? Yeah, you never forget something like that. Because for, for Maddie to move him to her own family plot is because to her, he's family now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wow. think that that's what makes it so sweet. Wow. Yeah. 
But it, it's, yeah, it, it, I can understand not liking the ending because we like it sometimes that we just wrapped up nice and neat, you know, with a bow. And beautiful, yeah. But, uh, but sometimes... That's why Interstellar sucks. Shut up. Sometimes these bittersweet type endings mimic real life in a way because things don't happen perfectly. But you can still find the beauty in it. Right. Amen to that. Man. Did we just make a bittersweet ending to yeah, this podcast? Did. Is that what it is? You hear so silent, right? It's <laughs> like in Western times. Not much to listen to. Oh, man. Just us having a conversation. <laughs> okay, wait. Uh, before we wrap up, Andy, considering your experience with True Grit, would you give another Western a shot? I have one more that I'd like him to see. We'll I, have, about it later. I have at least one more that I also would like you to see. Y- yes and no. I want to say no because I'm like, you, you're not going to top it, I don't think. And yes, because I'm like, I, I now feel like I should be open to it. So I guess it just depends on the movie and the cast. Okay. Because I do believe there are better Westerns than this one. So we'll see. But hopefully your experience motivates some of our listeners out there that maybe we're in the same boat. Mm. Hopefully. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. And, you know, we always like to say cut at the end, but maybe there's a word, a better one that we can use. Right? Oh, I can think of one. Absolutely. You can think of yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. how, how, about, how about you just say it? Adios. And by a con Dios. I think you botched that. <laughs> and cut. <laughs>